Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. Matthew 14. This is immediately after the feeding of the 5,000, of which we know is closer to 25,000, that there is a, there is no space that in verse 22, 14:22, it says immediately, and so immediately means that there is no space between the feeding of the 5,000 and the events that followed. This miracle that we are looking today is the miracle of Jesus walking on the water. If you look at the various miracles and you rank them as it were, as seminary professors are wont to do, the number one absolute important for eternal consequences and every other aspect of your life is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the miracle above miracles. Without the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we got nothing. Of the miracles that Jesus performed during his life, the feeding of the 5,000 was the largest. It was the farthest reaching. It had the most impact to the most people. The feeding of the 5,000, which because that was just the men, we believe it was 25,000 or more. And then the walking on water is the most known, misquoted, and misunderstood uh, miracle that is out there. I have heard in movies, uh, TV shows, books, songs. Uh, Yesterday, Janelle and I were walking around Lake Elizabeth in Fremont, and as we walked past a group of people, I heard them say, blah-de-blah, walking on water. And what it seems to mean these days, and I've had managers where I've, I've, I've worked for them where they use that term all the time, it means great human achievement. It means that if you're someone who in this world walks on water, it means you're extraordinary. It means that you beat all expectations. And what the world has done is taken the idea of walking on water and really beaten it down to human, extraordinary human achievement. As someone saying, boy, they're really good, they would say they walk on water. Now, if you look through all of history, and you can these days with the internet and all, look through a ton of history, there is only one person who verifiably walked on water without anybody to help him. You say, ah, but Peter walked on water. Ah, but Jesus helped him. Jesus is the only one who walked unaided on water in the entire history of the world. Even people like David Copperfield, in their great magical tricks, has never tried going out into the ocean amidst a storm and walking on water. So this is something that is unique to Jesus, and so we can point to it and say, Wow, this is, this is something that only God can do. And if you know how 
water works and how the mass of humanity works. This was really miraculous how he could, people say, well, he increased the, the surface tension of the ocean or he did something like that or he became very light. I don't know how he did it. You can ask him someday. You can go up to Jesus when the crowds kind of disperse in heaven and you can say, what are the, what's the science behind this miracle? And he can tell you because he knows how he did it. He knows what he did here. He was in charge of what's going on. But there is a whole situation around the walking on water that we are going to look at today. We are going to look at what Jesus did and why perhaps he did it. It starts in 22. It says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. Now you can look at this and just skim right over the word made. Okay? There are people that I've met which say, you can't make me do anything, okay? There are people who are standing firm on free will, saying, God would never make me do anything, but the word made actually in Greek means constrained against their will. They didn't want to get in the boat. We don't know why. People have speculated that they didn't want to leave Jesus' side, that there's miracles happening, that... <clears throat> People wanted to make him king in the previous verses. And so the disciples wanted to ride the wave, as it were, ride the momentum. And Jesus saying, get in the boat. I'm going over here. You go over here, is what he's saying. And they didn't want to. And he made them. We don't know how he made them. Uh, modern days, he would have pulled out a gun and made them get in the boat. That's how you make people do things in modern days. But we don't, he didn't have the gun, but we don't know how he did it. There's, you know, you can speculate that he made them think a certain way, or he probably didn't threaten them. Threatening is a sin. He probably didn't, uh, do, you know, pick them up, tie them up, and throw them in. But against their will, they did not want to go. He made them go. Okay, so that's the basis for this miracle is they wanted to be somewhere else and Jesus made them get into the boat and they pushed off and they start going. Then look in the end of 23 and the begin, end of 22, beginning of 23, he dismissed the crowds. That's another miracle. You got 25,000 people. It says right there in the Bible, they wanted to make him king. You have a mob, you have a crowd of tens of thousands of people and they get in their mind and there may be leaders in the group, strong personalities moving them forward. They wanted, it was their desire to make him king, to rule over them and to give them free food for the rest of their lives. That was what they were doing and all it says is, he dismissed the crowds. Now, if Jesus being one guy against 25,000, they say, we're going to make you king, and they're getting out the you know, pitchfork and sticks to force him to be king. And he goes, no, no thanks, I don't want it. They didn't probably say, oh, okay, and walk away. This was a miraculous managing of a crowd. Okay, so first, he miraculously makes the disciples get into a boat against their will. 
then he miraculously dismisses the crowd. And they just disperse. And the idea of making Jesus king leaves their mind. Okay? And then he goes up to the mountain by himself to pray. There's many mountains around this area. The area on modern maps is known as the Golan Heights. You can look it up in the back of your Bible if you have a study Bible with maps. And there's a lot of hills around. So he goes up to one of the higher hills. It's called a mountain. We don't know the difference in the Bible speak between a hill and a mountain. But there, he's up there by himself. And he's praying. And people go... Well, that's, that's something to be, to be uh, followed, is that praying by yourself, we find that throughout the Gospels, Jesus, after a major event, like the feeding of the 5,000, like healing people, he will, he will retire by himself to pray, to be in contact with God the Father, to commune, to some would say maybe even get instructions or get peace about what is coming, things of this nature. And then it says, when evening came, and another passage in uh, this miracle exists in Matthew, Mark, and John, not in Luke. And so you look in Mark and it says it was getting very late. We find out later that it was the fourth watch. The Jewish mindset, the Jewish sundial that they had back then, they put the, they put the day into three-hour increments. From 6 to 9, from 9 to 12, from 12 to 3 in the afternoon, from 3 to 9, 3 to 6, 6 to 9, like that all the way around. When you get to the fourth hour, that means that it is uh, in the wee hours of the morning, it's from 3 to 6 in the morning, and so the sun is about to rise. They left the, the shore when it was daylight, we believe, and so they've been rowing, they've been sailing to the other side all night. Okay? Just keep that in mind. It also says... Uh, they're a long way from the land. If you take, you take how far boats go and how good they were at fishermen and how things of this, it's estimated that if things were going normal, they were three to four miles away from the shore toward the middle of the Sea of Galilee trying to get to the other side, kind of cut the corner off of the Sea of Galilee. And so they've been at this for three or four miles. It says, beaten by the waves, so the wind was against them. And so it's 4.30 in the morning. The boat has a lot of water in it. These were sail boats back then. They had one sail, and so the wind was pushing them in who knows what direction. They also had oars. So they were fighting with the sail, maybe taking it down, putting it up. They were maybe using the oars. They were trying to get where Jesus wanted them to go. Jesus, when he put them in the boat, said, go that way. So they're trying to go that way. They're trying to get to the other side. Jesus said he would meet them over there. So they're trying to do what Jesus said he wanted them to do. They are trying to be obedient. Okay, There's no sin 
in this part of the Scripture. Everybody is doing what Jesus wants them to do. And then out in the middle of the night, 4.30 in the morning, they're exhausted, they're wet, it's terrible. And they see Jesus walking on the water. And the first thing they say is, it's a ghost. Now, modern ideas of ghosts, we believe ghosts are dead people that are haunting buildings and stuff. So we, we say that's a haunted house because some grandmother was murdered there and therefore her spirit is entrapped in that house and that's what we think ghosts are, is spirits of human beings that have passed on that are sticking around. They did not have that view of ghosts. The Greek word for ghosts is actually phantom. So they believed that there were spiritual beings, but they weren't dead people. It wasn't, they didn't think it was their uncle, okay? They thought it was perhaps a demon. They thought it was some spiritual being, an angel. It was some non-corporeal being, and they just throw out the word ghost because that's how they think, but not like we think about ghosts. And Jesus is now close again, and it says, But he immediately spoke and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. In other words, take courage, take strength, be strong in your faith. It is I. It isn't someone who's going to cause you damage. It isn't somebody who's going to sink your boat. It isn't somebody who is doing this for the purpose of scaring you. It is Jesus Christ. Now, this is strange. They've never seen anybody walk on water before. They've never, they've never you know, heard of it. You look, look throughout the whole Old Testament. People don't walk on water. It is something that hasn't happened before in literature or in their lives. And so Peter, and you can, you can speculate all things about Peter's brashness or his openness or his uh, acting before he thinks or him uh, speaking before he thinks and, you know, just out there sort of guy. And he said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come on the water. Now, he's not saying, if your name is Jesus, he recognized that it's Jesus. But he's saying, if it's really you and not a phantasm, not a spirit of Jesus. Jesus is still on the mountain, but his spirit is on the water. That was probably a thought they had. If it's really physically, if this is really happening and not a dream, I guess is what Peter is really saying, he says, command me to come on the water. So Jesus is saying, uh, Peter is saying, I need a command. I need to be told to do this. And Jesus says, come. Now, some people have looked at Peter's actions and said, well, he's being impetuous and it's sinful. He's trying to make Jesus do tricks. But if you look at this, Jesus is commanding Peter to do something. Jesus never commands anyone to sin. So this is all a good. Peter is doing what Peter does. Jesus didn't scold him for being impetuous. Jesus doesn't scold him for being sinful, okay? So this is all well and good. We look at this, and Peter's being good, Jesus is being good, the people in the boat were afraid, but now they're good. And Jesus says, come, and Peter gets out of the boat, and he walks on the water. 
And we know the story. What happens? He got his eyes off of Jesus and he looked at the waves. And when he got his eyes off of Jesus and he looked at the waves, he began to sink. And he said, Lord, save me. And Jesus, being the compassionate man that he is, saved him, grabbed him by his hand, lifted him up on top of the water again, and then they got into the boat. Now, the very simple application here is that we go through all manner of troubles, whether it be waves on the lake or whether it be financial problems or a health scare or whatever it is, we have problems in life. Philosophers have said, if you are alive, you have trouble, okay? It is just, you look at the history and nobody lives a trouble-free life. Everybody has difficulties. If, if I keep my eyes on the trouble, I will sink. If I keep my eyes on Jesus, I will not sink. That's the very basic application of this, but I think there's more, and let's look at this. He then says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? This is the third time Jesus has given the, the teeter-totter of faith versus doubt. If your faith is big, your doubt is small. If your doubt is big, your faith is small. You cannot have big doubt, big faith. You cannot have small doubt, small faith. Okay? They are related to one another. What is faith? We've looked at faith before. Faith is hearing from God. Today we, we have the Bible and we read through it and God speaks through the Bible. Peter, in this particular story, Jesus said, come. Jesus said, get on the water. Okay? Peter heard what Jesus said. Second thing we got to do is we've got to believe. We've got to say it's true. We've got to take what we read in the Bible and say, okay, this is true. We then have to trust it or do something about it. James says, faith without works is dead. I need to somehow look at this and do something about it. Now, the do something about it could be different for everybody here. We could be reading this, and this person would go, oh, well, this means I need to call my sister. Okay, fine. I don't have that application. I don't have a sister. So that application would not work for me, but I might have another application that, oh, I need to trust Jesus with my finances or something of this nature. So the, the last, the doing part, is what we get the variety of activities in a church. The first part of God speaking in the Bible, that's the same for everybody. We all have the Bible. We all say this is what God speaks. It is the same God. It is the same Bible. It is the same Jesus. That is all what is uh, the same about. That's what connects us as a community is that part. And then we get diversing when we get to application. And we can help each other with application and what we do about it. And so Peter has problems and he says, I'm sinking and Jesus pulls him up and they get into the boat, Peter and Jesus. And as soon as they get into the boat, it says in 32, and when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. This is an immediate thing. This is as soon as Jesus put one foot in the boat, the storm stopped, and the Sea of Galilee became like glass, as they say. Now, if you look over in John, in John 6, 21, 
And they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So they're in the middle of the lake, okay, three to four miles from shore. Jesus gets into the boat, immediately the storm ceased, and they look outside, and they're on the shore. Okay, we might say, you know, transported, teleported, Star Trek teleported. I don't know how God did it, okay? God picked them up and instantly moved them four or five miles onto the shore. And the boat was on the shore, so that not only was the storm gone, but they could step out of the boat onto dry land. That was immediate. And so that's the last miracle, if you will. And they look at him, the disciples look at Jesus, verse 33. They worshipped him and they said, truly you are the son of God. Now prior to this, demons had declared that Jesus was the son of God in their hearing. God the Father at his baptism declared him his son, the son of God. This is the first time the disciples, uh, in any sort of unified way, declared Jesus Christ divine. Jesus Christ is God incarnate. Jesus Christ is divinity. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is what they are saying here. He is not a man imbued with God abilities. He is God incarnate. They have crossed that bridge, as it were. And so, if you look at this whole thing, you have to answer the question, so who's in charge? The answer is Jesus, and what is he in charge of? Jesus dismissed a crowd of 25,000 that wanted to make him king, okay? If you look at our world today, we can't dismiss a crowd of 100, okay, with our whatever we're doing and burning cities and things. He had 25,000, and he just dismissed them. He made, he constrained against their will the disciples to get into a boat. He made it rain and was very windy on the lake. You say, what a coincidence that there was a, a storm on the lake. Uh-uh. Jesus made the weather on the lake. Jesus made it as difficult as he could on them. Okay, Jesus walked on water. He walked Three to four miles on water. Remember that they are in the middle of the lake, three to four miles from the edge. He walked from the beach to them, three to four miles, not just two steps. He walked a way, I don't know if you've ever walked four miles. He walked four miles on water and he got to the boat. He got Peter out of the boat, showed Peter how to walk on water and showed Peter that only Jesus can do this. He instantly calmed the storm and he instantly transported the boat to the shore. This is a lesson, if you take it all together, that Jesus Christ is no other than God incarnate. Jesus can do whatever he wants. Nobody can stop him. Jesus can make people do things. Nobody can stop him. Jesus can and will do whatever he wants, which is... Sanctify us, make us holy, and glorify God. That is what Jesus did every step of the way. He sanctified his disciples, and he glorified God. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we praise your name that you sent your Son, and he proved over and over and over again 
that he was God incarnate, that you sent your son to live a perfect life and to live for us. And Lord, we praise you for that. We pray that we would be willing to participate in our sanctification, to participate in glorifying you and through all that we may put you first above everything we do. Lord, we thank you for this and ask your remainder, ask your blessing on the remainder of the day and we ask this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.